0: And welcome to episode number 40 of the Craft Dish Podcast. I'm Vicki Howell. This week I sat down with my friend, designer, and yarn world personality, Marley Bird. Marley is the host of the Yarn Thing podcast, a knit and crochet wear designer, instructor for Creative Bug and Craftsy, and the national spokesperson for Red Heart Yarn. She's also a fearless fireball of enthusiasm about the yarn craft industry and the community. And really is one of the most gregarious gals i know she and i talked about her journey from finance world to fiber phenom how she divvies up her many jobs pie and what her personal philosophy for crafty success is let's meet her now marley bird thank you so much for being on craftish i wanted to read a quote from an interview that you did for the Moogly blog in 2014 that I really think encapsulates the genesis of what you've become professionally today. In it you said, I don't think there are any limitations to what you can accomplish with a little faith. And I wanted to start with what you did before you worked in the yarn industry. Can we go back and start at, at your life before then? What were you, what were you doing professionally?
1: Totally. Um, I was actually an insurance and investments, uh, salesperson at Northwestern mutual financial network. So I was doing nothing in the crafting industry. I was totally immersed in numbers and insurance. Um, but there was this part of me that just knew that wasn't the right place for me, not because it was bad or anything, but I just knew I was supposed to be in the yarn industry. And I honestly didn't know how or where I just knew this is where I was supposed to be.
0: Were you a parent
1: at that point? Yes, I was a parent to two kids by the time I left uh, the insurance company, and um, then I was pregnant with my third. <laughs> so I was, I was in the mix of it.
0: Right. And so how, so your, your actual college degree is in speech communication, though. How do, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to see how all of these loop together. How did you end up in finance?
1: That's a very good question. Um, when the recruiters came to my university and recruited me, they said that they like to recruit um, speech communication people and people who had general person personable skills because right. it's it's more often that people will purchase insurance and investments for somebody that they can relate to and you know it's, it's not just so much a numbers geeky kind of um, you know just spitting out, figures to them, but somebody they can understand and thinks that, you know, really understands them and so that's where Northwestern Mutual was decided had decided that speech communication majors were a great fit for them. Which is ironic because I actually failed microeconomics. Mm-hmm. And so here I am selling people insurance and investments and I absolutely failed economics in college. So I was just like, this is hilarious. But it, it worked. Like I, I I excelled and I did really well there. And I really did enjoy it and I still have my insurance with them, but it just wasn't where I was supposed to be. Did you learn
0: anything from that experience working in finance that later was kind of a a professional gift to you, running your own business, even though it was in a totally different industry, especially given since you didn't go to school... for business per se or finance per se?
1: Um, Yeah, I think the diversity overall. So um, financially, you need to be diverse when you're investing, correct? And so when I started my own business, and as a knitwear and crochet designer and everything else that I do, I think of them as pieces of my income pie. And so I keep my income really diverse in that I don't rely just on one aspect to be financially profitable for me. I have several different areas that I make money from. And so I think that was the biggest thing that I um, took from the insurance and investment side and applied to my own business.
0: Well, and the you know the extra applicable aspect of that is that in our industry and in the knit and crochet industry, in particular, at least at the time of this interview and the foreseeable future, there really isn't a way to make a solid living unless you go work for a corporation, but as an independent in our industry without diversification.
1: Absolutely, and that's something I go in depth with when I teach classes about hobby to profession. Um, you, you know, you get a lot of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed individuals who want to come in and be be our colleague, Vicky. And you know, I, I welcome them wholeheartedly, but I give it to them straight and say, okay, let's break down how much you would get if you made a sweater, mm-hmm. and then how much it would take for you financially to have that sweater made, or for you to make it, and how many sweaters do you have to do in a year's time in order to make a salary that you need to live off of. And people quickly realize that, I mean, it's just impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. And so then they're like, well, how do people do it? And that's when I break into the, you know, you've got to find other avenues to make money. And so we talk about all the different ways to make money.
0: Yeah. And I talk about, you know, I, I teach a course called um, Monetize Your Craft and I go straight at it with them, too. It's being very open about the fact that it's hard in our industry to make a living. And so if you want it, you have to really want it. Yeah. or not wanted at that level, and that's okay, too. Maybe you just mm-hmm. want to, you know, bring in a little sort of extra income for your family. Maybe you don't want to go full-fledged career, but you need mm-hmm. to know the different sort of like the different ends of the spectrum and what it truly involves. And if you are open and willing and still interested at that point, you know, like we opened with your quote, there really are no limitations. No,
1: no. I mean, there are so many there are so many people in this industry who have come from other industries you know and and as you said people are involved in the yarn industry and i mean the beading industry all the industries that are crafting oriented and it all depends on, on the level that you want to put into it, and there there are no limits. Here I am, a, a former insurance and investments person who is now the national spokesperson for Red Heart Yarns. I mean, who who would have seen that coming? Um, I think if you, you work for it and you have faith um, and you just you you put your best foot forward, you, you just there's nothing limiting you except your own ability to get things done.
0: Yeah, I like to always say that we are the architects of our own glass ceilings. I mean, oh, that's great. We truly that's... are. Let me, let's talk about that arc of of you know insurance salesperson to spokesperson. Take us back to your how you went from you know learning from your grandmother how to crochet and learning how to friend, from a friend how to knit, you know, a, a decade and a half ago, to when you got your first gig for like published design anything 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 that would that actually you could say i am a professional whatever it was designer tech editor yeah Um, professional knitter whatever you wanted however however that however you define that first step towards your overall career path in this industry
1: okay so um After leaving the insurance company, um, I started a blog and from the blog, I started a podcast, which is, um, go still, it's still going strong. It was the first crochet podcast on iTunes. And, um, it's, as far as I know, the only podcast that really talks mainly about knitting and crochet, like it's the two, um, From the podcast, I connected with different publishers. And what was really great is I connected with Vogue Knitting and uh, Interweave specifically, and both of them uh, were interested in my design. So I sent stuff to them. And within the same week of having a crochet design accepted from Interweave Crochet, I had a design accepted from. I think it, knit simple magazine, and so in the same week I became a you know a, a published designer, and mm. I was ecstatic um, and nervous because it was it, it's on right. It's like okay, here's your dream, and now you're living it, and you um, for me I didn't I didn't want to flub up, you know I didn't want to make some sort of rookie mistake, and so I I just remember methodically just going through each step, making each thing perfect, writing the pattern as perfect as I could, just to make sure that they would hire me again. Um, but that's really where it started. Cause from there, it, everything just took off it literally just took off i attended the national legal arts association i uh, met up with carl and eileen of bijou basin ranch um from there i continued to design for magazines and then i became the creative director for bijou basin ranch and i mean just one thing after another has just really just just happened and what are you using as your
0: Resume at that point. I mean, oh. if you had only designed two things professionally, how do you become a creative director for a yarn company? Right.
1: Um, well, I had done more by that point. Um, so I had, by the time I became the creative director, I had done some other designs, and I think it's just with Carl and Eileen, they are local to me, mm. and they were new to the industry as a whole on them their own. And as they were getting patterns from me and collecting patterns from other people, I was helping them format the patterns, and I was helping them organize the photo shoots. And I was doing all the different things that a creative director would do. And so it came to them. They were just like, one day, like, look, we're, we want to pay you for what you're doing because you're doing it anyways. And so that's how that all kind of fell into place. I really don't know. I'm, I'm absolutely fearless, Vicky. I mean, there's there's nothing out there that I can't do. If I don't know how to do it, I'm going to figure out how to do it.
0: That's really the only attitude to have in a creative industry,
1: (laughs) (laughs) especially if you're, you know, if if
0: it's important to you to be both a creative type and an entrepreneur like those two, there's got to be a little bit of um, of ability to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's that vulnerability that puts you out there. And when you're out there, the opportunities can find you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Where did you, where did you learn how to design? I feel like you went from in your story, you went from, you know, I knew I wanted to be in the industry to I, you know, started a podcast and started it. designing. <laughs> yeah, I um Because there weren't there weren't the classes that they were, you know, Craftsy and Creative Bug and Skillshare. No. None of those things existed. Right. Um, when you started I... out.
1: I purchased books and I um, taught myself through books. Like I read instructional books like novels. I read patterns like novels. Um, if there was something I didn't know how to do, I would read through the instructions of a pattern and figure out how the designer did it and mm-hmm. try and work through um, the math of it. And then what really helped me was, Was Early on in my career, I connected with a tech editor who is a wonderful designer on her own, and she really helped me a lot understanding the ins and outs of stuff that I didn't understand. Um, And so with her help and the help of books, I've just taught myself along the way how to do what I do. Yeah. Yeah, I because mean, there was no Craftsy. There, there wasn't. Was no, no I flag. had to do
0: the same thing. I had to do the same right. thing. I pitched my first book and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to learn how to write a book now and also right? design and also design. <laughs>
1: yeah, my and first it, sweater, I had never even knit a sweater before. And that was my first sweater design was a, was, a, was my very first sweater I ever even knit.
0: Yeah, you know, um, I think I have, I think, I think for me too. Yeah. Uh, Because you know why? Because knitting a sweater is a big commitment. So (laughs) if I'm gonna go into it, I'm gonna go into it and also be able to publish something at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Yep. Yep. (laughs)
0: Um Yeah, that's funny. So I remember years ago, gosh, this was so many years ago. I don't even know what show it would have been at. It was probably it was either a stitches or a Vogue knitting live. I was walking the aisles with my friend, Karen Baumer, who had been a guest on a show I used to host called Nitty Gritty. And this was when you were relatively new to the industry-ish. You know, I think the podcast has started, I can't even remember. This must have been close to a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And you stopped us and you wanted to talk to Karen. And I wanted to, do you remember that? I wanted to, can you share that with our listeners? What what you wanted to tell her?
1: Yeah, early on, nitty gritty, nitty gritty was a a big part of my everyday life. I was um, still uh, working at Northwestern Mutual, but I had learned to knit and I absolutely fell in love with it. And so I was watching the TV show. And as you said, my good friend taught me how to knit and purl and I am a continental knitter and purler, but my pearls never were working outright. I could not figure out what I was doing incorrectly. And because YouTube wasn't that big, there was no craftsy, there's no creative, but there's knitted daily and um, nitty gritty. And actually, it was just nitty gritty at the yeah. time. There was even Knitting mm-hmm. Daily. It was mm-hmm. just nitty gritty. And I was um, watching the show, and Karen Bomber was on the show teaching how to knit socks. And she's a continental knitter and purler. And I watched that show over and over and over just to watch her how to purl. And so I literally learned how to purl from nitty gritty, <laughs> from Karen specifically. <laughs>
0: She's also a speed knitter. I mean, she's been in competition. She's incredible. Uh, um, so that's really funny that she yeah. was able to like slow it down <laughs> enough for you to, <laughs> for you to learn. Uh, side note, she stopped knitting.
1: That is crazy. To she's, me.
0: She set knitting aside for like the past like several years. She was like, she's She's full opera all the time now. No time for nothing.
1: I know. Isn't that crazy? I know. We'll
0: get her back. We'll get her back.
1: It was crazy, though. I do remember stopping you. It was at Evoke Knitting Live. And I, because I, I mean, I had seen you. and So I was a little starstruck. But it was that, it was seeing Karen. Because, you know, she was such an important figure in my entire knitting career in the sense of, she taught me how to purl. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was a big deal. I enjoyed that.
0: What? have you learned over the past 10 years of of running a podcast um what's been the biggest what have you learned from how you talk to your guests and also just how technology has changed since you started
1: oh goodness well at the beginning um I, I used to pre-record my podcast, and then I would edit out the ums and the uhs, and I would add music, and I just put tons of work into it. And it was so labor intensive. Um, as I say, um, <laughs> it was so labor intensive, and I didn't I didn't think that it was sustainable uh, Mm -hmm. all by myself. And at the beginning, I didn't really know what to talk about. It was just me. I'd have some different girlfriends come over and just chit-chat about knitting and crochet. I'd review books and stuff and magazines. But... When I decided to transition from an edited podcast to a live show, I um, was able to have guests come on the show live and it completely transitioned what my podcast became because it was much more of a interview format. And the way I approached it was I'm inviting my fellow, um, you know, colleagues on the show, but more than anything, I'm, I'm inviting people that I'm complete fans of. And I just want to learn about them, learn about how they got into the industry. And I want to help promote them and lift them up because overall, the more successful we are in the industry, it helps our industry as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't very, I'm not, I'm still not, I'm not selfish about giving accolades and, and trying to help promote people because I want people to be successful. So Over the last 10 years, my podcast has transitioned from a fully edited show to an interview based live broadcast. And over the last Almost seven months, I guess I've been doing the behind the scenes uh, of the show on Facebook Live to try to bring in the video aspect of it. Because for a long time, I didn't want to have a podcast that was also a video podcast. Because I mean, let's be honest, it takes a while to get ready in the morning, and when you have a show twice a week, I don't want to get ready twice twice a week to look good on, on camera. Yeah. And it sounds, it sounds ridiculous for everybody who's no, that's, that No, that struggle me.
0: is real. That struggle is
1: but real. I mean, it really is. <laughs> and so it was kicking and screaming that I decided to do the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I was like, I've got to do it because our – first off the yarn industry is really it works really well with video you know because you can show people what you're talking about this that and the other but also as uh, overall social media is so visual anymore there are the great podcasts that people listen to in the car as they go to work or, or they um commute on the subway or whatever but there's also so many that really like to watch what it is that they're listening to so i figured if i did both that would be good so uh yeah, those are the biggest changes. Was the interview base, the live show, and now doing the um, the behind the scenes video live of the show. Like it's just been it's been crazy.
0: Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, well, with with me personally for Facebook Live, how liberating it is to be able to produce. Um, I've had a weekly series for about a year and a half now on Facebook Live and and it's not something that I would have been able to sustain if it had to be fully produced Well post oh, yeah. actually it's the post production not yes. I still produce them I still pre- it's the post production <laughs> yeah. it just it's not and so and for me and and I think that you're the same way I'm I'm kind of more comfortable improvising anyway Yeah um so yeah. it's a it's a good match um, Yes. And it's fun to be able to sort of truly integrate your audience into your real time work life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the fact that I mean, I do two shows a week. How That's crazy, crazy is that? That's crazy. Do you know why it switched to two, it switched to no. two shows a week? Why? Probably like two or three years ago. It's because so many people wanted to come on the podcast that I couldn't. Like I was so far booked out. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And you know, again, you want to help promote people when the book comes out. You're not know, like months later. So I'm like, okay, I'll just start doing a couple shows a week for this time frame, and then I'll go back to one show a week. Well, it just I never went back. It just kept going. It's 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 nuts. It is nuts. (laughs) I still Go ahead. Well
0: now we're also we're at a place where people are insatiable with content. Like they're they're used to having always having something new. So so it's not like it used to be where it's like you could put something out once a month and it was like a month like people expect their feed yes. to be refilled, yes. you know, like a cup all of the time. So it's, you know, finding a balance between what is realistic and what you can do well, because right. putting out a crappy piece of content five times a week versus solid pieces of content two times a week. I mean, the clear winner is the latter. Absolutely. But it's finding Absolutely. that balance that is really, I mean, we're kind of, I say this all the time, all of us, all, of you know, all of us in all of the industries that embrace technology are really pioneering the way that we broadcast and market right now. Absolutely. And so we all sort of just roll the dice. And but what's cool about that is that the audience is participatory in it. We've never had participatory marketing in this respect before. Right. Where we where we really can see, oh goodness, that was a crash and burn. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but and not have to like rely on data
1: and you know, like you can ju- yeah. you can see it. I know, which is a blessing and a curse. Because before, I mean, it, it was what kind of the, the blind, the ignorance of, oh, it looks like everything's doing great, that all of a sudden, it's like, it's in your face. Oh, this is not doing well, you know, and everybody can see that, you know, if all of a sudden, Not that this has happened to me, thank God, but like all of a sudden people unsubscribe in droves. You're just like, what did I do, you know? Or all of a sudden everybody's subscribing because you've done something new. It's like, oh well, I should do that again. So it's it's a blessing and a curse. If you're like me in the sense that, I mean, I think nobody likes to fail, but like I have a I have a big fear of failure and the fact that it's on such a public stage. Oh, that's frightening. Like I I'm constantly having to reassure myself. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this and just try and continue to be fearless on that aspect of it all. Because at this level of where, where I am in my career, if, if I fail at this level, it's going to be epic and it's visible. And that's scary as hell. That is so scary.
0: It's that vulnerability that we were oh talking about. Oh, my gosh.
1: About. Oh, my gosh, yes.
0: But and I always say that if I'm going to go down, I'm
1: going to go down in, in a ball of yeah, flames.
0: That's, like, I want you, it to be big. You, yeah, know? you
1: told me that. You told me that um, like a year two years ago when I was oh, talking I? to you about Red Heart. You told me that. And I have seriously, that has stuck in my head ever since then. So I have the little Vicky voice. (laughs) If if you're going to go down, go. (laughs) So, but the thing is, I haven't gone, you know, I haven't, I haven't gone down in flames. I just, I'm just, I just keep going. I just keep going. Cause I mean, I've told you this, you are such a huge inspiration to me and I totally look up to you and you are just, you're like the Energizer bunny girl. You just keep going and going and going. And, and I don't want to say reinventing. That's not it. You just is like nothing's going to hold me down. I'm going to, what's the next thing? And I'm doing it. And it's just, I love that you do that. I love it so much.
0: Thank you. It's true. (laughs) I, uh, I have to have the same conversations that we all have to have about it. In fact, the most recent thing that I did, that's this Kickstarter for the knit show, which I'm, I'm in the middle of pre-production for right now was the most most vulnerable I've ever been professionally in my entire life. Because like you said, like if I crashed and burned, it was going to be a big crash and burn. Like I, I was calling it my swan song yep. because it was big and I have, and this isn't about me and my next career. Of course, it's what I want to do, but I have this vision for what it can do for an industry that frankly is, a, is not in the best place it's ever been right now. And, you know, there's constant conversations about, Look, I've got the skills. I've got the tools. I'm the person to do the, do this. You know, it's going to happen. And replace all the like, what if it doesn't? Too. I'm so grateful to even have the opportunity to try to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that shift in consciousness really sort of pushed me through sort of you know the the grueling portions of that particular project. But I think it's important that you know that people that leaders in in any creative industry, well, really any industry. At all, talk about both your failures and your successes, because if you think about it, how many huge let's let's just talk about, you know, celebrities, uh, movie stars right now. How many awful like big time movie stars have had failures? I mean, Ben Affleck and Gigi. Can we just? Can we just? (laughs) Right, right. And that was big and painful and awful, but it did not really affect his overall career. And that's something like every time I'm, I worry about like, oh, what if something bombs, or what if I step back and I think like, oh, wait, that's part of being a creative person is that you put, you try something and it may be a little off kilter, it may not, and maybe that'll catch and maybe it won't, but that's part of the process.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. You said it all perfectly.
0: At what point were you able to monetize your podcast? It seems like it was
1: relatively (sighs) early. No, it was like, I want to say it was like five years ago. What? Um, Yeah, it wasn't. I didn't have a, I didn't have. Uh, sponsors of the podcast for a long time. And the reason I didn't is because I didn't want a company telling me what I could and couldn't talk about or who I could yeah. or couldn't have on the show. And, um, it was after a meeting with Benjamin Levisay, the CEO of XRX books and knitters magazine that he contacted me and said, I want to sponsor your podcast. And I actually told him, no. um, and he was like, what? <laughs> and I said, I, you know, I, I appreciate, i'm flattered but i i don't want any sponsors because i want the show to be what it is i want it to be real i want to be able to say i don't like your magazine or i love your magazine and not be you know in trouble for it um and he said, no, I, I I, want to give you money. Let me give you money. I want to sponsor your show. And I said, Benjamin, how's that going to work if I have Trisha Malcolm on the podcast for Vogue Knitting? And, you know, you're just like, well, you know, we do stitches and I don't want you to have Trisha on. He goes, no, 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 that's not the case. I want you to have Trisha on. I just want to make sure that Knitter's Magazine and Stitches is mentioned when Trisha's on the show, you know? Mm-hmm. and um, Which, I by said, the so, way,
0: is if, yeah. if everybody in our industry got the weight of that and ha- yes we would be in a different place right now. We are in this absolutely. we are in this just really unique industry where that's community based which means that the whole rising tide thing works. Knitters exactly. don't get tired of knitting. They want all of it. They want all of the content. Right. So exactly. promoting each other. So I love that Benjamin Benjamin was that
1: forward thinking. He's absolutely that way. And so I said, so what you're telling me is you want to give me money? And you don't want to have any say in what I do. You just want me to have your money so your name is mentioned. He goes, absolutely. I said, okay. So I took his money and I, I i guess there were other people that wanted that as well. And so that's when I started getting sponsors of the show. That's how that worked. It was about five years ago and it was thanks to Benjamin. But I resisted because I wanted to have full – is autonomy? Is that the right mm-hmm. word? Like mm-hmm. I wanted to have full decision-making, um, responsibility of the podcast. I just wanted to take so money. <laughs> for all
0: of the sponsors. Did you get to have the same caveat? Yes.
1: Yes. Yep. So that's why you'll see, like, I have Buffalo wool company. I have red heart. I have knitters magazine. I have Aaron Lane bags. I have craftsy and creative bug mm-hmm. I have both of them, you know? And so it's, it's, good they all understand what they're what they're signing up for and to them it's okay they're supporting a podcast they like they're supporting a designer they like they're getting their name out there to listeners and all the shows are archived so you know people whether they just decide to sponsor for just a year or for many years their name is always mentioned and when people go back and listen to old shows cuz they totally do their name, there—it's just that constant advertising money that they are spending, and it's good. It's a good way to spend money.
0: So, at what point does Red Heart come into the picture?
1: Uh, <sighs> um, so, I haven't mentioned this very much uh, during this podcast, uh, but it's. A lot of things that have happened to me are... Um, By the way, this
0: is me. my podcast, not your podcast.
1: Yeah, yours. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, I haven't mentioned it very much
0: during this podcast. I was like, oh, I need to remind her oh, which which, which job she has podcast. right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I meant. Um, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. That's funny. Um, I, I, a lot of the, the different things that have happened to me, uh, I, I mentioned, you mentioned faith. And so I am a Christian. And a lot of things that have happened to me are just... Unbelievable. Like you could write a a book on my story of my career and it wouldn't, people wouldn't buy it because it just doesn't seem real. Um, And Red Heart falls into that same space for me. Um, I was friends with Red Heart, I knew Red Heart. I'd worked with Red Heart, you know, as you do everybody in this industry. And when I decided to try and add a new piece of my income pie, uh, because I was really struggling with the ones I had, because those of you who don't know, typically when you do something for a magazine, you don't get paid until the issue is actually released. And then it's 30 days after that. So at one point in time, I was flat broke, but I had $25,000 out there waiting to get paid on. Okay. And I was like, this is asinine. Why, why is this happening to me? And so I was trying to figure out a way to add another piece of income pie. And all I kept seeing was, um, the, the rise of YouTube and the rise of video and such. So, um, long story short, I got connected with a company in Austin to help do production of crochet videos. Oh, I and, remember
0: seeing that. I saw that yeah. on the interwebs and I was like, why is Marley coming to Austin? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I was doing purely crochet videos cause they already had another person doing knitting videos. And, um, the agreement was because she's doing knitting. I was only allowed to do crochet.
0: Was this for a production company or did you hire the
1: production company for to shoot stuff for your we own actually, channel? We partnered. So what partnered. happened was okay. everything was 50 50. Um, they did all the production stuff and absorb those costs. And then we had an agreement as far as like the level of how much was their percentage, how much was my percentage when the YouTube channel started making money. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then if, in time there were ever sponsors that came to be, we split the money 50 50. So they took a chance on me and I took a chance on them. So it was, it was a very great way to venture into this. Um, Wonderful company. It's it's called Tiny Courage. I mean, they're, they're wonderful. So, in the process of getting things ready to go to Austin to do filming, I went back and kind of relied on watching You on Knitting Daily and You on Knitting Gritty and seeing yarn and people sponsoring with yarn. So, I contacted the various yarn companies to see if they would uh, give me yarn to use on these videos. And I mean, I, I contacted, I didn't hold back. I, Lion Brand, Yarn Inspirations, Red Heart, all of them. Mm-hmm. And Bobby from Red Heart called me. She actually called me, not even an email. And she's like, "Hey, Marley, this is Bobby Mattella at Red Heart." And I said, "Hey, how are you?" She says, "I'm good." I have a yarn request here from you, and um, this is a lot of yarn. Can I ask you what you're doing? So I explained to her what I was doing with the YouTube channel. She said, "Oh, that's that's fantastic. Would you ever be interested in doing that for you know other companies or people sponsoring?" I said, "Sure." She's like, "Great. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention this to my boss and and such." So they do send me the yarn and behind the scenes, I've got to jump back just a little bit before I started the YouTube channel. Before I went to Austin, I was talking to another YouTuber named Mikey about going into this and he was very open and friendly and kind and transparent about a lot of different things. And he actually talked to me about trying to get connected with yarn inspirations to do knitting videos. Okay. And I was like, sure. If you think that's a good, you know, whatever you, you, you take the introductions wherever you can find them. And so in this time frame, Mikey is doing videos for Red Heart. Does that you with me so far? Mm-hmm. So Mikey's doing videos for Red Heart. I am now asking Red Heart for yarn and they're saying, would you ever be interested in doing videos? Sure. So Red Heart comes back to me and they're like, we are looking for somebody to do knitting videos because they have Mikey for crochet. And I'm like, awesome. But here's my problem. I can't do knitting videos with the production company I'm working with in Austin, right? Cause I made that agreement. So I have to make a decision of, can I do these videos? If I do them, what do I have to do on my end to make that happen? So I decide if I build a studio or, you know, I'm here, I'm in Denver. So I'm local to Craftsy and I've got people that work at Craftsy that can help me. And, um, so I decide if I build a studio I could film all the knitting videos here and I could still go to Austin to film the crochet videos. So I just have to divide it up. And so that's what I did. So, um, Red Heart's talking to me about doing knitting videos. I said, great, I can do it. And in this time frame, Mikey decides to leave Red Heart and goes to Yarnspirations. And so Red Heart says, Hey, we have Marley already going to do the knitting videos. We should just have her do crochet also. So I fell into where I was doing both with them. And so that's literally how it happened. It was, I asked for yarn and I walked away with them sponsoring videos.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. It's, it's, yeah. It's putting yourself out there again, yeah. putting yourself. So at the same time, were you getting responses from a lot of the other yarn companies? You, yeah. You must-
1: yeah. I got yarn from Lion Brand. I got yarn from Yarn Inspirations. I got yarn from Cascade. I mean, all the other yarn companies were sending me yarn. So, um, and at that time I told Red Heart, they couldn't be exclusive. You know, they were just, they were sponsoring those episodes that they were doing, um, with the exception of the knitting side, they were exclusive to the knitting side because I didn't do anything else. Um, but yeah, I just used all of it. So then a year into our relationship with Red Heart and myself, you remember this, I called you and I talked to you about, I was like, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think? And you were like, go for it. And so, I pitched the idea of me being their spokesperson and and really collaborating our brands even more than what they were. And um they thought it was a fabulous idea. And here I am, a year and a half later.
0: And I'd I'd like to give props to Redheart here too, because you know, I, I was I was the spokesperson for various incarnations of your inspirations, like Karen yes. and then Burnett, and then your inspirations for yeah. for six years. Um and what I and so I have experience in the space. What I've noticed that Red Heart has been especially great at is not trying to have you come on to just be the talking head for stuff that they have going on within their own walls. They they instead have truly partnered to let you do you. Mm-hmm. but with a mindfulness of their brand and using their products. and that is something that i think really lends itself to a a successful collaboration.
1: i would agree. In, i would agree.
0: in any of the craft industries, it's so important and that's something and you know, again, i i mentioned the pioneering before. this is we're really only a few years into the whole influencer thing being a thing. so I don't want to take away from any company's struggles where everybody's trying to figure out how this works and how it doesn't work. But it I've seen it again and again, those kind of influencer relationships or spokesperson relationships where it's not just a talking head spokesperson in the traditional sense, but actually someone who's at the forefront. It's yeah. crucial that their voice be the voice at the forefront.
1: Yeah, they are. I've worked with a lot of different companies um, in the indie side of it all. I haven't worked with very many in the big box side. Red Heart's really the the only one. And
0: if I'm being completely honest. Before you do that, let's explain what that, what the difference is.
1: Okay. So uh, think about the yarn you could purchase at Michael's, Joann's, Walmart, AC Moore. The yarns that you find there, we're going to call those big box yarns. So Lion Brand, Red Heart, Yarnspirations, Premier, um, all of those brands. And then independent side, that's where you would find the Bijou Basin, the Cascade, anything that you would find at a local yarn store. So there's like a separation there. And so I've worked with a lot of different companies on the indie side, but not very many on the big box side. And the the general consensus on the indie side is typically, Oh, you don't want to go to corporate. They, you know, they'll chew you up and spit you out sort of thing. And I can tell you as a, I'm not an official employee, but somebody that works with red heart, they are amazing. They are wonderful people to work with. They listen, they take your, your advice and they really do think about stuff. They, just as you said, they do work really great as collaborating. Um, They're simply wonderful. On the customer side, as a consumer, I am so proud to work with a company that treats their employees the way they treat their employees because they are phenomenal. They are absolutely phenomenal people. And whether I work with Red Heart in the future or it ends tomorrow, I will feel that way. They are just a really wonderful, great company to work with. They're really great.
0: That's so great to hear because, uh, you know, honestly, you don't hear that a lot. No. I don't think you hear that a lot in general, not just in our industry right now. It's just yeah. we're all in such a period of trying to figure out where technology, right. you know, begins and the old school way ends and that kind of thing. So that's wonderful. And and, you know, I can I can also add to that, that the president, um, John, is one of my favorite people in the industry, like just just solid people and and so many people. Bobby's great. And and. Um, just just everyone over there is really great. Yeah. So I love that they they are also treating you well. That makes me happy. Yeah. What at what point or when you're talking about the whole the the income pie? Yeah. Um, do you have any form of do you have an equation for how do you how do you begin, <laughs> how you break it up or is it just like is it more like a like a pot pie where you throw whatever's in the <laughs> in the yeah. freezer? You know what I'm saying? So yes. knowing knowing what we know about not only the exorbitant amount of time that it takes to get paid for designs. But as a side note, designers are still paid somewhere in the realm of what we were paid in the 1980s. Well, not us because we weren't designers in the eighties, but designers. Um, so it's also not viable to just be a designer. So knowing that, do you, do you have, when you're stepping back, do you look at, okay, I know that I can make way more money doing videos than I can do this. So I'm going to make that piece of pie bigger or, or are you just kind of throwing everything in?
1: Um, you know, after, once you start, I give myself at least a quarter to kind of see where things are landing, you know, what's making money, what's costing me more money, what's costing me time. You mean a time quarter is, as
0: in a time period? Yeah, a quarter, quarter in a
1: time frame. Okay. Yeah. So a quarter of a year, so three months to kind of, and I, I review every quarter. Um, I think of it as like when it's tax time, it's time to review what's making money, what's not. And you try and, I try and put my. My efforts and my energy towards the things that are making more money. Um, having said that, it's really difficult because there are some of the pieces of my pie that, even though they're making more money, they're the opposite of them. I still need to pay attention to because the success of the opposite is what is able to maintain the former. So let me let me put mm-hmm. this in perspective. My relationship with Red Heart and my um, ability to be the person that I am with them, my success, my um, popularity, for lack of a better word, is also dependent on the fact that I give out new content, that I produce a podcast, that I do travel the country teaching, that I do write books, that I do these patterns. So even though the pattern in the magazine might not make me very much money. The fact that I'm in that magazine is a direct correlation to why I have my red heart position. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm having the most, um, not struggle. That's not the word it's, it's I'm trying to figure out how to manage my time because even though it would make sense that, um, doing videos with red heart and XYZ should take the majority of my time. I have to remember that I can't just let all this other stuff go Otherwise, my value to Red Heart also diminishes. So I end up. It feels like I do two jobs. I feel like I'm still maintaining the the Marley Bird brand, you know, because that brand is what Red Heart is is partnering with to really excel their brand. Does you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's hard.
0: And uh, well, for me, I I also think of some of these. Jobs that don't pay as well, including writing books, because craft yes. books
1: don't <laughs> That's a, that is the biggest facade out there is that they, you're gonna be rich. I mean, I made decent
0: money in the in the beginning when they were handing out book deals, but but now it's changed. So I go into that. But you're right, there's a there's a certain amount of credibility that you get from just yes. being published. So I've tried to shift my focus a little bit towards that time that I put into it is my quote unquote marketing budget.
1: Yes. It's just a
0: budget of time versus money because I am getting a little income, but it in no way covers the amount of time that goes into something like that. But, you know, being able to say that you've written 12 books means that gives you a credibility that would not be there without it. So Mm -hmm. sometimes the pieces to the pie are not fully financial. Sometimes they're also exposure. But working for exposure just for exposure is not necessarily a model that I'm pro either. So you have to figure out where the balance is, um, to make sure oh. that you're getting, you're, getting at least something that you can spin into something else bigger, like breaking that book out into a series of classes or, you know, collaborating on a design that is then put into a shop is mass manufactured or whatever it is. It's about thinking broader instead of it just being that one project.
1: You're absolutely right. So to answer your question, to break it down to, you know, what percentage needs to come from where it really does end up being like the big chicken pot pie where everything just kind of gets thrown in and you just really hope that you are giving enough attention where you need to give the attention. So that way there isn't any lull in the income coming in, um, where you're in between payments for like a couple months. Cause man, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. We're all, everybody who's listening is like, yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> but it is, it's hard. Because it's not that your business ends for those two months. I still have to pay my my uh, virtual assistants. I still have to pay my fees for my, my, my website, my podcast, and you know everything that goes with that. And my tech editors and my contractors. Because... Even though I'm not getting paid, I still have the engine running in the background. Like, there's always something happening. I tell um, my husband, I'm like, I feel like I'm constantly spinning the plates, you know? And whenever one gets wobbly, I'm running over to that one to, to make sure it's spinning again. You know what I'm saying?
0: At what po- Absolutely. I think every independent contractor can, <laughs> is nodding their head right now. At what point do you take that leap, though, to bring on help so you're not doing it all on your own? Because I think that's a crucial... That's a crucial turning point in, in anyone's career as an independent contractor. One more time. We'll ask that one more time. I'm sorry. At what point do you take the leap to actually bring on help so that you're not doing everything on your own? <laughs>
1: um, that's I'm still... So I have, I have help now, and it's just recently that it's come in. And it was when I literally am getting no sleep. And... I just tried to figure out how much could I afford on a monthly basis and what exactly do I want this person to come in and do to take off of my plate. So like I have somebody who is helping me with maintaining my blog, maintaining, um, uh, my Facebook and social media connections. And when I figured out that I could financially afford that, I have given them or them working with me, you know, this is not, I'm not saying you have six months, but like behind the scenes, I'm thinking, okay, I have six months to see if that money I'm putting, giving to them, I'm making that back, you know, whether it's through, um, advertising on my blog or being able to get other stuff done. Like I'm trying, I want to make sure that there's value in having that extra help other than just having some extra time, you know, like to sleep. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know when the right time is to ask for help, whether it's getting a virtual assistant to help with the blog and coordinating stuff, or if it's getting contractors so that you can up your production or, or what it is. I think you just, I don't know. There's, it's just like, you just know when you know, you know,
0: did you have any trouble relinquishing that control?
1: No. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, I am. I'm really good at delegating and I'm not a micromanager at all. Like I'm just like, look, here's the pattern. Here's the yarn. Here's how much time you have to make it, make it. Um, Or here's, here are the topics I want you to write about. Here are the details. Here's the images you need. Just do it. Um, And I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't making the Macintosh. He was designing it. He was improving it. He was doing all the stuff that he was really good at. But then there were other people that, you know, did the nuts and bolts and put it together. Or, you, you know what I mean? Like, you find where you're really good at and you delegate everything else because that overall makes you your business productive.
0: Yeah. What is it that you hope... That people take away from their time with you, whether it's in a physical classroom, a physical, uh, a virtual class like on Creative Bug, or from your podcast, reading your blog. Uh,
1: I want people to have confidence that they can do anything with knitting or crochet. I want them to have confidence, um, and I want them to leave my class or leave my podcast feeling. Happy, encouraged, and hopefully with a smile on their face. Like I, I want to be that positive person that maybe is the only positive thing they have in their whole day. I want to be that person for them.
0: Well, Marley, you always put a, <laughs> you put a bright spot a bright spot of my day every every time we talk. Thank you so um, much for being on on this thanks podcast. Thanks for having
1: me on here. It's such a delight, such a treat. Thanks.
0: For more information on Marley Bird, her projects, her YouTube channel, and to enter to win her entire library of Ravelry patterns, go to her show notes page at vickiehowell.com craftish. To enter, you just need to post in the comments section telling us just one thing fearless, it can be big or small, that you've done to follow your passion. Comments must be posted by Wednesday, May 10th. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or post a rating or review on iTunes or tell a neighbor or shout it from the rooftops. You know, all of the things with all of the voices. We really appreciate it. Every little word of mouth effort really helps. Craftish is a Campbell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. We are actually on a break after this for a little bit while we work in the development and pre-production stage of a totally different project called The Knit Show. You can expect to see the Craftish podcast pop up again in your feed though later this summer. In the meantime, you can take this as an opportunity to listen or even re-listen to some of our past episodes. Um, if you're looking for some recommendations, some of my favorites were actually the very first one with author Rachel Heron um the one with the spoonflower ceo stephen fraser was really interesting knitlandia's clara parks was fun made by ray ray hoekstra was a great one zelma rosa's lisa anderson schaefer was really inspiring fabric designer Tula pink she's super funny and rad crafts house anna maria horner was just a blast and of course a recent one you're a badass at making money author jen sincero that one will have you feeling fired up so give any of those and more. There's 40 now total. A try, and uh, I'll meet you back here in a little bit. And uh, while you're while you're listening and taking it all in, and while we're all on a break, please don't forget to make a little time to be creative and breathe in, craft out.